The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick! You sit the fuck down! And shut up! Hating this happens, you know. Okay, okay now. What are the chances of a brainless bitch like you knowing how to use that thing? Hmm? Pretty goddamn good, you backwoods motherfucker. Sally, I hear something. Stop! Stop! This is the Ancient Slumber Podcast, show number nine. My name is Chris Ward, and my co-host joining me for a bit of a chat is Myron Schmidt. How are you doing, Myron? Good, Chris. How are you? Oh, I'm super caffeinated, yes. Don't know if that's good or bad. I, I don't know either. <laughs> I uh, I had to ask my spirit animal, Baz, if it was okay to drink whiskey this early in the morning, and he gave me permission, so we're all good. Yeah, but he's from Scotland, so they never stop there. <laughs> he recommended something not very peaty. <laughs> we don't we don't have Pete over here and I can't afford stuff that's not, you know. <laughs> I don't think he's talking about whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, show number nine already. Yeah, no kidding, we're gonna go into double digits here. I know. <laughs> I hope somebody's listening. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a bit of a good one today because we're gonna hit back at you with one of the big boys. We are doing the first four films in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. And you are a massive Chainsaw fan. I am in both senses because I am massive and I am a Chainsaw fan. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, I've been wait- looking forward to this one. We've got that. We've got our usual uh, nonsense about good, bad and ugly. We've got, we've got some feedback. Okay, now. I know, right? <laughs> Someone is listening. It's from um, the military telling us to get off their airwaves, to be honest. <laughs> But we'll do, we'll read it out. And then we've got a review of Malatesta's Carnival of Blood from Arrow Video. Which should be an interesting one. It is. It's part of a uh, the American Horror Project box set they've uh, put out recently. But uh, we'll get there in a bit. So why don't we kick it off with some good, some bad and some ugly. Yes. Let's do the good, the bad and the ugly. 
You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Uh, oh, let's stick with tradition. You can go first. All right. So I've got two goods. Uh, because two. I got two, because I thought they were both good. The first one is one you didn't care for, but I absolutely loved. Was Lost After Dark. Right. <laughs> I thought it did a great job capturing. I don't know, kind of the early '80s kind of slasher thing. It would have done better capturing my attention rather than capturing <laughs> something that was 35 years old. That's all right. <laughs> it was uh, it was great. They had the uh, Terminator from T2. Is that Robert Patrick? Robert Patrick, yes. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he was awesome. He was good, actually. Yes, he was. Good. I, I I thought it was very well acted, very well written, very well shot. You know. All the places you didn't care for it, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah, I reviewed that one for um, Flickering Myth, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't terrible. It it didn't deliver what it promised, I didn't think. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny, I can see that, but, uh, you know, it for whatever reason, it just clicked well with me, and I just really, really enjoyed it. But uh, Robert Patrick was good fun in it. He reminded me of, um, from Back to the Future, Mr. Strickland, you know, the, the uh, headmaster guy, the principal. Are you thinking of Breakfast Club? No, no, no. You know, in um, Back to the Future, you got Mr. Strickland, played by James... Uh, I can't remember his name. The bald guy. Yeah. yeah. You remind, the character he was playing reminded me of him. Every time the kids were up to something, he'd suddenly pop up and start wagging his finger at them. Actually, it's funny you say that, because I kept thinking of the principal in Breakfast Club. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah just that sort of that authoritarian figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know, drive drive that that uh, that yellow uh, Camaro or oh, that was that was nice. <laughs> it just was so funny. That's a bit of me, that car. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Was he blasting loud disco music? I think he was. He was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the Soul Train. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, there were there were definitely bits of it I liked, and I could see what they were going for, but I just didn't care for it at the end. It was like, no, you just you're not quite there. I could see that. But you know, it uh, it just clicked with me. I really liked it. Yeah. So he he was more in Robert Patrick was more interesting than the killer or the victims that were in it. <laughs> I, I didn't find the killer particularly interesting. I I just liked the uh, it it caught my attention when what I thought was going to be the final girl got like killed almost straight away. Yeah. I think they should have been a bit more knowing and played on his T two character a bit and had him sort of running. You know, when he does that thing with his arms like he does in Terminator two. You know, that sort of thing. Just played yeah. on that a little bit. Made it a bit more fun in that way. But uh, no, it, it was OK. I mean, I would have gone half a mark higher, for, but Flickering Myth don't do half marks. So I had to give it a two. I couldn't go to a three on that one. Oh, you could have gone to a three. No, two and a half. I think I gave it on Letterbox, But, you know, if you were doing like a modern a, a retro slasher marathon, you know, I'd stick it in there. It'd probably be OK for a laugh with a crowd, that sort of film. But it, it just didn't hold I'll, I wouldn't watch it again if I'm on my own. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. You know, it's one of them. It's okay. <laughs> and my, my second one is uh, an anthology uh, called The Hillbilly Horror Show, Volume 4. Oh, this sounds like my sort of thing. It's, uh, you know, it's got uh, two rednecks and a girl that goes in various stages of undress that kind of hosts the wraparound. Okay. And But it's uh, just a collection of shorts, and they're all extremely independent. But they were really, really well done. I, I was, I was impressed. Is it a DVD release? I, they do have DVDs of volumes one through three, I believe. Oh, right. There's loads of them, isn't there? Yeah, I caught volume four on either Hulu or Netflix, one of the two. 
and uh, it, it just was uh, great. Hillbillyhorror.com, I think, Chris, you can uh, watch a few episodes. I am making a note of it right now. Yeah, that sounds like my sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly, but uh, really, really well done. I, I was just, you know how you put some of those collection of shorts on, you're like, oh, God, help me, but this was really good. I was uh, I was impressed. Excellent. Okay. Uh, right, my good. Um, I haven't watched that much, actually, since the last time we recorded. Nothing that I haven't been sort of reviewing for other sources. So um, I did watch uh, from 2006, my good is Slither. Ooh, can't go wrong with that one. You like that one? Yeah. I do. I do love that one. I love a bit of Michael Rooker turning into a squid. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it was good stuff. I was at work last week, and I was uh, listening to an episode of um, Podcast Under the Stairs, actually. And uh, Duncan on there was talking about it. It was an old episode that I was catching up with. And I thought, well, oh, I haven't watched that for years. So, uh, yeah, I dug it out and gave that a watch. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that reminds me. I should uh, pull that out and watch it again sometime. Yeah, you see, I'm a big fan of um, Night of the Creeps, the Fred ah, Decker film. Right. And it, to me, they sit alongside each other, you know, those sort of alien parasites getting in through your mouth and turning into zombies and all that sort of thing. <laughs> it's a good pairing. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, Slither. Great fun. Yeah, exactly. Go on then, watch your bad. So my bad um, is a movie I tweeted about yesterday, 2011's Italian horror film Bloodline. <laughs> you didn't like that, did you? <sighs> no, no. It was slasher, ghost, zombies. The zombies could have been possessed by the ghost. Who knows? It was – oh, God, it was – it just was <laughs> – Set on the backdrop of a supposed porn shoot, it was all messed up ten ways till Sunday. <laughs> just didn't didn't ring anything with me at all. Just half star at best. Just oh dear. <laughs> oh, I don't know that one. It, it's okay. Feel free to miss it. Okay, I shall uh, not make a note of that one. Y- yes, don't make a note of that one. It you know, and the worst part is it try to take itself really seriously. So right, well, that's unusual for an Italian film. I know, right? I mean, if they had tried to play off some of the, the oddball things they were doing, it might have been better. But they tried to be way too serious, and, you know, everybody knew how the plot was going to end a mile away. It just, yeah, it, it just didn't click with me at all. Too many uh, mashups in that one. Too much kitchen sink. Okay, fair enough. Uh, my bad. What should we go with? Um, Yeah, this is one we actually, I think we mentioned this last time. But I actually went and rewatched it again because I bought the DVD. It's VHS viral. Why? Why did you do that? I told you I bought the DVD because it was under three pounds on Amazon, and I'm, I've got one and two sat on the shelf, so I can't have, not have the third one. But why did you watch it again? Why did you just leave it the plastic wrap and stick it up there? <laughs> just well, I might just leave it in the plastic wrap and stick it up there because that's where it belongs. Yeah, it is fucking terrible, isn't it? Yeah, I thought, well, I better it, watch it. Is. it. I watched it about a year ago when it came out over here or whatever, and I sort of forgotten about it. And then say, it came up, two ninety nine on Amazon. Okay, I'll have some of that. Watch it again. It can't be as bad as I remember it, and it is. Dude, I went to see it in the theater. Yeah, I know. We see, we went through this, see? Oh, God help me. It is shit. It... Uh, I, don't, I don't know how... I don't know who was looking at parts one and parts two and going, right, for the third one, we're going to cut the budget. We're not going to have any people in it. Let's not bother with a script. <laughs> Let's just loosely put some CGI over some people. And call it good. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking awful. I'm not even going to talk about it. Shit. 
Then we'll move to my ugly. Oh, yes. This one was so bad. I'm not sure if it was – no, I think I liked Bloodline better than this. This is the the 70s classic Nude for Satan. Ah, okay. Oh, my God. That's on my list of ones to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the nudity is uh, top shelf, absolutely. The film opens. But there you go. You've sold it to me already. Yeah, full film opens, full frontal nudity chick running through the woods, but – not even the high amount of nudity could save this film. It was, it was just terrible. I, I, they, they tried to do this Italian weird stuff, giallo, strange stuff, and it just, it was so bad. <laughs> it was. So- That's the sort of thing, as I spin around to look at my shelf, I've got loads of films like that that involve the word Satan in the title. <laughs> Satan Sadist, Virgin Witch, that's a good one. Oh. I've got Blood for Satan. Oh, I've got loads of stuff on the shelf. I haven't got Nude for Satan, you see, so it's on my list of ones to watch. Well, I will be really interested what you think, but I just – I couldn't get past all this weird hallucinogenic stuff they would do part of the time, and then some of the time they weren't dreaming. It was just – forget about it. Oh, see, I love all that stuff. <laughs> You'll probably give this one four stars then. <laughs> Nude for Satan. Yeah, I mean, it's got oh. the nude and Satan in it. There you go. I'm watching it. <laughs> it was. Stick a sharp oh. garden implement in there as well, and I'll watch that and all. Oh, dear. <laughs> right, my ugly um, is one, I mentioned this on Twitter, is Reform Schoolgirls. <laughs> it's not that funny. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is, because I've seen it. <laughs> Wendy Wendy or Williams, right? That's the one, yes. <laughs> Doesn't she hit somebody with a big giant fake penis? Yes, a big black rubber cock, yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. This that, was just, movie, that was so bad. <laughs> this one had just got a release from um, Arrow Video on DVD over here. Oh. Um, it's not a special edition or anything, it's just a, a standard release. Gotcha. And I actually got it because I bought it because Arrow didn't release it themselves. So I didn't get a press release of it. They did it through somebody else. So I didn't get a, uh, gotcha. a review disc. So uh, I went and bought it. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I do like a woman in prison film. I've got a few of them here. It's not the worst one I've ever seen, but it is an ugly film to look at. There's not a lot of style to it. Yeah, it's women. There's tits in it. There's other bits in it. And there's the butch lesbian one. And then there's the soft, softly spoken meek one. And then there's the prison guard who wants to rape them and... All the usual stuff. Yep. 80s soundtrack. Uh, Wendell Williams can't act for shit, but her acting's as good as her singing voice, if that's any help. Yeah. It's an ugly film to look at. It's mildly entertaining, but that's about it. If you want to watch a prison movie, I would suggest uh, Black Mama, White Mama. Yeah, or Big Bird Cage or Big Dollhouse or any of those. Uh, exactly. Those ones. They usually feature Sid Haig in them as well, which is great fun. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Speaking of Sid Haig, I just watched uh, Pam Greer stab him in the neck in Coffee last night. Ah, Coffee. What a wonderful film. It, oh, great film. Great yes. film. I think that's probably my favorite of the Pam Greer ones. It's a really good one. Yeah. Which is the one where Sid Haig has to play the gay prison warden or prison guard? I don't remember. I think that might be Big Birdcage or one of those. That's quite a good one. Yeah. <laughs> 
You gotta love Sid Haig. I do. I do. I know. My spirit animal, I model myself on him. <laughs> nice. I look nice. like him now, so when I'm his age, when I'm in my 70s, Christ knows what I'll look I'll still look <laughs> like him. Oh, goodness. There we go. That's our good, bad, and ugly, then. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Moving on. Right, then. Let's get into the into the meat of it, as uh, as one of the people in the film might say. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We are. Let's talk Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's play a clip, and then we'll get into it. What happened was true. most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. as real, just as close, just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Right, here we go. Back in the room. Texas Chainsaw Massacre of 1974, directed by Toby Hooper, starring Marilyn Burns, Edwin Neal, Alan Danziger, Paul A. Partain, Gunnar Hansen, Terry McMinn, Jim Seedow, John Duggan, and William Vale. That covers it. That just about covers everybody. So which edition did you watch, Chris? I watched for this review purpose, I watched the 40th anniversary Blu-ray. As did I. As did I. And I took time to watch the the special disc as well. Ah, okay. Well, we'll talk about that when we get, get through the film. Absolutely. I was just curious which one you'd watched. Yep. Oh, I think that's about the only one I do watch now, unless I've only got a DVD player to hand, and then I'll put one of the other ones on. Gotcha, gotcha. But, uh, yeah, let's do a brief synopsis. I'm going to read it off IMDb. It is, a group of friends are attacked by a cannibal while visiting their grandfather's home in Texas. Right, then. Not strictly true, I don't think, but there we go. Right, so, Texas Chainsaw's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Right, then, part two. (laughs) Yeah, for me, the Texas Chainsaw franchise, it's my franchise. It's the one I love. I'm a complete apologist for it. And we'll get there when we get to part four. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may surprise you yet. Right. 
yeah, I love this franchise. Um, I've always had a fascination with like hillbillies and um, you know rednecks, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know those films where someone's stranded out in the middle of nowhere and they run into the the local weirdos, which um, happens to me on a daily basis, to be honest. <laughs> You know, when you're up in Birmingham and, yeah, who are you fucking out Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Texas Chainsaw, you know, if you'd asked me in the 80s what my horror franchise of choice was, it would have been Nightmare on Elm Street. And then once this got an actual proper release over here on home video, yeah, I just became obsessed with it. So, yeah, yeah. Easy to do. Easy yes. to do. So what I was thinking was I found when I reviewed this for Flickering Myth a couple of years ago, I reviewed the um, 40th anniversary Blu-ray. Okay. And it was one of the hardest reviews I had to write because it's a film we all know. We've all seen it. Yep. You know, it's up there amongst the elite of the of horror films and of films in general. You know, it's legendary. And it's a film that's been dissected and analysed and whatever, studied by, you know, more more learned people than me. So what could I put in a review why would somebody go to my review and read it when, you know, it's a film that we've probably all seen dozens of times anyway? Exactly. So what I was thinking was why we're uh, instead of us just sort of just sitting there and saying, well, this happens and that happens. We like this. We like that. I thought it was quite interesting that for me in the UK, I didn't get to, I mean, I did see it before it was released. Most people did. But if you go back to those um, video nasties documentaries, you know, the ones by Jake West. Yes, yes. And they were talking about, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was one of those films that would be passed around the playground on videotape over here yes. in the UK because you couldn't get it. But there was always some kid at school whose dad had a copy, you know, <laughs> and, and that, that was how I saw it. And um, I just thought it's quite interesting that for me, it was always that mythical film. It's always, you know, the benchmark of absolute extreme horror, even though it isn't really, but it's still got that power about it. Yeah. Whereas for you in the US, it's always been available. Yes, always been available. So to you, I mean, it's part of the furniture now sort of thing. But I just thought it was quite interesting that, that the film holds a certain power in the UK. Because when people talk about horror films and bad films and films you shouldn't see, it's still the name that gets banded about. It is. It, it really is. I, and I don't know why, but um, I, I think it's just got to do with it was first. Everything yeah. that came, it's almost like Black Sabbath. Everything that comes after is just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. And oh, yeah. Thank you, Black Sabbath, for doing this. You know, uh, there's a brilliant quote from um, Malcolm Dome, the uh, writer, and he was on telly and he was talking about Black Sabbath and he's, he was talking about the song Black Sabbath. And he said that that song begins, ends and defines heavy metal. Everything that came after it is interpretation. Yes. And I think that applies to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think it does, too. Uh, I mean, just consider the time that it was made. Who'd done that before? Not that I know of anybody. No, I mean, the only thing in terms of filmmaking style, I think you could say came before it was probably Last House on the Left. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Just in terms but, of its gritty style and giving you something that you hadn't seen. And, and the thing with Last House on the Left, though, that I didn't find with Chainsaw was Last House on the Left was predictable to a certain extent. You knew what was going to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, but I mean, let's face it. Everybody's got this idea when you first put in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but nothing prepares you for that first kill where no warning, out of the blue, Leatherface just whacks that dude with a hammer. He's down and Leatherface drags him in and you're just going, oh, shit, what now? Yeah, I mean, that is my favorite scene in the whole film. 
absolutely is. Just the way he steps out from behind that door, raises that hammer, clubs him on the head, and the guy falls, and it's the way his leg twitches. Yes, yes. Like, as if he really had been struck in the back of the head, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then the face just drags the body in, and he slams that door shut, and that's it. All bets are off after that. Yep, yep. You know, and whereas with, like, Last House of the Left, we've got a rapey seat coming, then they move to the house, and, you know, you can kind of guess what's going to happen. Uh, with the chainsaw one, all bets are off after Leatherface whacks the dude. That's you it. Know? Yeah. Because, I mean, we all know the family's a bunch of wackadoodles, but, you know, this is the first hint that they're really wackadoodles. That's it. You know. The hammer scene is the first kill, which doesn't actually happen till about, I think it's about half an hour into the film, maybe just after. So right. Up until then, we've, we're spending our time with uh, the kids in the van. You know, it's the early 70s. They're a bunch of uh, hippies. And they're out in the middle of Texas looking for their grandfather's house or old house. He doesn't live there anymore. Obviously, we get the hitchhiker scene. Yes, we do. And, uh, you know, even though we we don't get a kill like we expect now from a slasher, uh, we we certainly know that there's some weird goings on, don't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the tone set is very off kilter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know you're in for a rocky road when you pick up that kind of a hitchhiker. <laughs> One who uh, cuts himself and sets fire to a picture in the back of your van. Yes, <laughs> with, with gunpowder. With gunpowder, that's it. Talking about the best way to kill animals. Exactly. Have you been to the West Midlands? I have not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so these guys, they pick up the hitchhiker, played by uh, Edwin Neal, who himself is a bit mad in real life. <laughs> if you've seen the special features on the disc. Yeah, but it was great. Oh, yeah, he's a great guy. He's, he's a character, isn't he? <laughs> and a, he's a character and a half. Oh, my God, they couldn't have found anybody better. He's like if Robin Williams had gone down the real dark path, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, so they pick him up. Um, he starts misbehaving in the back of the van and makes everybody feel uneasy, so they throw him out. Uh, they end up at their grandfather's house or the grandfather of Sally and Franklin. Yes. Uh, Sally played by Marilyn Burns and Franklin played by Paul A. Partain, who is one of the most annoying characters you'll ever find in any film. He really is. <laughs> he whines like a bitch the whole fucking time. All right. He's in a wheelchair. He can't move around so much. But Christ, doesn't he go on? He does. He does. <laughs> And he is absolutely on form through the whole movie. Well, up until he gets killed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all deliberate. It's all part of his performance. If you look into the history of, he was a bit of a method actor. Yes, yes. So, uh, he, he kept himself separate from the rest of the crew and all that sort of stuff, and stayed in character. But uh, yeah, so it's Franklin and Sally's grandfather's old house. They go and visit it after stopping off for some petrol, which they don't get because there isn't none there. But the guy who owns the Petrol station offers them some barbecue. We'll come back to him. <laughs> so, yeah, they're at the house. Uh, some of the kids go wandering off. They find the neighbouring farmhouse, and they think they'll go and have a look over there, see if they've got any fuel. You get the leather face hammer scene. Then you get the meat hook scene. Yep, then you get the meat hook scene. Aim on the meat hook. Yep. <laughs> Which, uh, again, it's one of those things you hadn't really seen it. It's not, I mean, it's graphic in the way that you see what he does. He picks her up and he hangs her off this meat hook, but... And they got that little bounce at the end. They got the bounce. Yeah, again, if you watch the special features, you, uh, you'll find out how they did that. And I think the actress was in considerable pain during most of it. I believe so. But, you know, and the, the funny part is, is um, 
there's not a whole lot of gore in this movie. There's no gore. The only time in this film you ever see a sort of a significant amount of blood is when Franklin gets it. Yes. And to be honest, you only see it if you've got the cleaned up, restored Blu-ray version. Right. I mean, it was uh, all the gore was, you know, implied, which just goes as a testament to the film. It is. It's it's all tone. It's all atmosphere. It's all suggestion and the use of sound in this film. Yep. And anyone who says, you know, oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the goriest film ever, they haven't seen it. Yeah. No, no, they have not. I'm curious, Chris. Hmm. I'm really curious. So what did you put in your review? What did I put in my review? Blimey. I can't remember. It was two years ago. Well, you said that you didn't want to, you know, slice and dissect the film. What What did you end up talking about? Well, I'm just going to call it up on the screen and have a look because I can't remember. In fact, if you want to go to read my full review of it, if you go to the Ancient Slumber blog page and click on links to other work it is down there you can find it yeah i wrote it in 2014 oh wow okay ah well since it's the 40th anniversary um yeah i mean i'm mainly looking at it i mainly went into the points of you know is it worth shelling out on another version of this film if you've already got it and it i think for the cleaned up 40th it is definitely worth you know shelling out the 14 15 bucks is what's going for now if you're going to watch this film I say this is the way to watch it. Yes, absolutely. And I've actually went back and looked at a couple of scenes on DVD afterwards, and the, the difference is amazing. Like I said, when Franklin gets killed, he gets a chainsaw plunged right into his stomach. On the 40th anniversary Blu-ray, you see the, a bit of blood spray back on Leatherface. You don't see that at all in the DVD version. It's very dark. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the only blood in the film. But even like the opening, the opening shots... The cemetery in Texas where the graves have been desecrated. It just looks amazing on the on the Blu-ray. You know, you can actually see detail, whereas before on the DVD, it just looked like red blobs. Right, right. Where, you know, these skulls have been hung up on these posts and things. You know, you know, and the funny thing is, even though it's cleaned up, newly restored, the whole nine yards, for me personally, I don't lose any of that grindhouse feel or any of the, the just starkness of it. Even it cleaned up, it is still... You get that dirty, slimy feel from it, and it's uh, it's so well done. Yeah, because a lot of the time when they clean up these old grindhouse films, they give them this like plasticky, waxy polish over the top, and it just doesn't look right. Right, right. But, um, I've actually written – I'm on that paragraph here. I'm looking at it now. I've put, there is grain, and there are a few specks here and there that were probably impossible to completely clean up, but that adds to the nature of the film, and if it was 100% free of all blemishes, then the film would just lose something. You go, as it is, it's as clean as you would want it to be whilst retaining the original 70s flavour. Yeah, exactly. You look at it now, I can understand now if, uh, you know, someone who wasn't around in this sort of 70s and 80s and 90s, a teenager now looked at it and they go, oh, what's all the fuss about? You know, and in a way I can see that because visually it's not, you know, it's not a CGI fest of jump scares and ghosts and goblins and whatever. Right, right, right. You know, but it is a film that you need to sit down with. You need to absorb the atmosphere. Remember the context. Remember the context. It's the 70s. And just go with it because it's just a film that is relentless and it, you know it's in the trailer it says this is a film that was is relentless in its pursuit to drive you out your mind yes and it does and you know as much shit as we give the bbfc over here and james Furman in particular who was in charge of the BBC, bbfc at the time his reason for banning it i mean i don't think you should ban anything but he said in in his report we well, didn't actually ban it sorry he just didn't give it a certificate 
but his reasoning was there's not one thing you can take out of this film that would make any difference. And he's right. Yeah, absolutely. Because you'd have to take it all out. Yeah, because it's just it, it hits you at the beginning with a tone and a mood and an atmosphere. And if anything, it just gets more and more frenzied as the film yes. goes on. And then by Absolutely. the time you get time you get to the climax, you know, the kids have been knocked off. We've got our one survivor who is Sally. You get the infamous dinner scene where it's her, Leatherface, the cook and the hitchhiker and grandpa. Yeah, don't forget grandpa. Don't forget grandpa. We'll get to him as well. <laughs> <laughs> who, you know, they're all sat around this table. It's been going on all night. Sally's in complete. She's close to madness. You just think, what the hell's going to happen now? And she manages to escape, you know, and she gets out. And that final chase, I just, I just love it. I could just watch that clip over and over again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's really good stuff. It is. It's great. Even the, the uh, obvious dummy that the truck runs over that's supposed to be the hitchhiker. <laughs> well. Nobody's legs bend like that. <laughs> yeah, but it, who cares? But it looks good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great fun. And fun, yeah, there you go. There's a word, fun, because it's a film. Toby Hooper always insists there's a lot of uh, dark humour in this film, which a lot of people I don't think quite get, which is the reason we ended up with Texas Chainsaw 2 being the way that it is. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, for all of it, I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre it is a benchmark film. It is a legendary film for good reason. Yes. I think if you grew up with it, like I did where it was always the film you weren't supposed to see and then you eventually got to it, you know, it that's a power within itself. And I think for me, it still holds that. Right, right, right. I'm sure for you, it's a little different because the film was always available. It was. I mean, it was available on VHS. and Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I, rem- I remember when um, the BBFC announced that they were going to give it a certificate in the late 90s and we got a VHS, first VHS release and I ordered it from this small ads in the back of dark side magazine. And it was just amazing. <laughs> Even though I'd seen it, I'd seen it on like a 10th generation VHS before. Wasn't it, um, was that the first one they did right after Furman retired? They did that. And they did the exorcist around the same time. Okay. I think the, ex- the exorcist may have been first, I think. And then it was this because they were, a lot of people say these films were banned. They weren't banned. They just weren't given certificates. Yeah, but it sounds better marketing ploy if they say banned. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, um, I mean, Texas Chainsaw more than The Exorcist because The Exorcist sequels got releases. Um, none of the Texas Chainsaw sequels did, or none of the none of the first four films did anyway, literally because of the name Texas Chainsaw Massacre. As soon as you put that in the title, it was like, oh, no, we can't have that, regardless of what's in the film. You know, and even here, this was one of those films that a lot of people went to see. Everybody loved it, but didn't um, – maybe it did make the news like movies like The Exorcist, you know, where, you know, people were waiting in line and they had news crews there because, you know, Texas Chainsaw, I think, was largely word of mouth in this country. and But, you know, people just flocked to it. And I imagine over in America, it would have been the drive-in circuit as well and the midnight movies and that those types of venues, wouldn't it? Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because you have more of a culture for that sort of thing than here. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know this film was, I mean, over here in the UK, um, local councils are allowed to show films that haven't been passed by BBFC. So every so often, where I used to live down near, down on the southeast, every so often there was a cinema that used to show like a midnight screening of The Exorcist. Really? Yeah, it's some weird quirk in the law. But yeah, a local council has the power to sort of go over the BBFC and they can show it in a cinema. They have to get permission or whatever, but 
So every so often you would see midnight screening of the Exorcist, midnight screening of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You never could convince mom and dad to take you, huh? No, I was too young. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I'd, seen it, I'd seen that 10th generation VHS anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, but the chance to see it on the screen. I've never seen this one on the big screen. Me neither. I've seen The Exorcist on the big screen. Have you? Yes, when that got an official release. Very cool. About 1998, I think, or 99, something like that. Yes, I did go and see that, but um, no, this one didn't. I don't think this did at the time. I think it just went straight to VHS. Gotcha, gotcha. But um, yeah, it's, you know, I don't need to sell this to anybody. It's a fantastic film, you know, whether you're watching it as part of a marathon or you just want to sit down with it and soak it up on its own. It's an amazing film. It's a unique film. Obviously, lots came after it that ripped it off. I mean, Hills Have Eyes is the obvious one. Which, um, I mean, that's a good film in itself, you know, but it's Wes Craven's response to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, basically. Well, I mean, you know, people have continued. I mean, look at um, look at the film Frontiers. I mean, that's pretty much a. Yes. Homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Although I think it's probably derives a little more from Texas Chainsaw 3 than it does the first one, to be honest. Uh, I could see that. Yeah. But uh, it's there. I mean, but it's you, there. You, I mean, yeah. films like that, obviously the Wrong Turn series of films is probably the uh, the biggest modern sort of take on it. <laughs> oh, I, only, f- I fucking love them. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I used to live in West Virginia. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, Henry Lee Lucas country. I don't know. If, was he in West Virginia? Yeah. Uh, do you listen to there's a podcast called Last Podcast on the Left and they talk about like serial killers and uh, crimes and things? No, no, I I don't listen to that. Chris, you, you OK? Do we need to check your crawl space in your basement? Oh, no, 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 no I'm all right. All right. But um, no, oh, I, do, <laughs> I recommend that if you want a little bit of serial killer history. Last Podcast on the Left. OK. Yeah, I'm listening to their Henry Lee Lucas shows at the moment. And fucking hell. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, there we go. I've got nothing else to say about this, really. Um, if you have seen it on DVD or VHS and you haven't yet to see it on Blu-ray, do pick up the 40th anniversary edition because it is amazing. There's shitloads of extras on there. You've got the, you know, the Shocking Truth documentary, which is fantastic. There's loads of other interviews with Gunnar Hansen and, uh, Toby Hooper and I think Kim Henkel's on there as well. And <laughs> we'll get many to him. times. We'll get yep. to him later. But, yep. um, yeah, it's fantastic. Do go and buy it. I think if we're going to rate it, this gets five meat hooks in the back from me. Oh, absolutely. No question. No question. It's hard. I mean, I know I know we've managed to talk about it for about 25 minutes, but it, it's really hard to, to analyze this because it's, it's like analyzing Shakespeare. Yeah. You know, gazillions of people have done it before us. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know I mean, it's, we're not going to bring anything new to a to a study of this film. Yeah, no, no. You know, we're only going to say things that everybody else has ever said. But, you know, as fans, it's a great film. Get the best version you can, which is the 40th anniversary Blu-ray. And just, you know, spend an evening with it and the special features. Give you a context of the whole film. Right, exactly. And uh, even if you don't go into the sequels or anything else, just to have that one, that's where you need to be as a horror fan, as a film fan, you know. Yep, yep. Right then. All right. I think that's the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre put to bed. I think so. Which means we're going to move on to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. How about a clip, Chris? Oh, let's have a clip. Thirteen years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. 
In the wake of this bizarre rampage, he vanished. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, The Buzz is Back, directed by Toby Hooper. Right, then. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from 1986, directed by Toby Hooper, again, starring Dennis Hopper, Caroline Williams, Jim Seedale, Bill Mosley, Bill Johnson, Kirk Sisko, Lou Perryman, and Harlan Jordan, which I think just about covers everybody. I think so, too. Cool. Right, then. We're in the 80s now. 12 years have gone past. And, you know, it's worth noting this one was directed by Toby Hooper. Well, Toby Hooper had a three-film deal with uh, Canon Films at the time. And he did Life Force, which is a great film. He did Invaders from Mars, which is is all right. And he did this. Yes, and we can tell it's a Canon film. (laughs) Can't we just? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the plot... There isn't much of a plot, really, but uh, Caroline Williams plays a radio host named Stretch, and she basically gets victimised by the cannibal family as they are being hunted by a Texas Ranger, played by Dennis Hopper. Yes. Right, yeah, yet again, this wasn't available in the UK until it came out on DVD. Really? Yes. Confession, I've never seen this one until you suggested we do Chainsaw Massacre. So this was actually the first time I'd ever seen it. Fucking hell, I thought you'd seen this. No. Ah, okay. No, no. So you weren't up on the things that we know now about, like, Bill Mosley? No, was not up on... You know, before he was Devil's Rejects and House Found Corpses, he was known for this. Yes, yes. So you can see where it comes from now, then. I, I, I can. I can. It's a very weird movie. It is. And as a first-time watcher of somebody who loves horror, you just look at it and go... This is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? The hell were they doing? Because <laughs> it's really, it's a completely different atmosphere. Completely different. And the the only movie I kept thinking of when I was watching this was the Hope Toby Hooper film called Eaten Alive that we've uh, yeah, yeah. chatted about. Because it's just got that same weird-ass feeling. Yeah, we've got some feedback from um, Tom and Chris from Strange and Deadly Show, and they, they touch on it as well. It was either Mark Kermode or Kim Newman who came out with a quote and, along the lines of, you know, the person who made the tech... It, not only does it not look like the same director, it looks like the person who made this film hadn't seen the first one. <laughs> right, and it really does. I mean, first time you watch it, you're like, the only thing similar is they got the Chainsaw Guy, and they got Jim Sido that, that played... Um, um, the Cook. The Cook, thank yes. you. Yeah, it's a weird one in that sense because we've still got him. We've got Bill Mosley now in the place of Ed Neal, and he's playing Chop Top, who was the, the hitchhiker's brother. Yes. And we've got a different leather face. Yes. They didn't get Gunnar Hansen back. We've got Bill Johnson. But we have Grandpa. Yeah, different Grandpa as well. But we do have Grandpa's back. Oh, yeah. And we've, we've got Grandma in this one as well. Oh, shit, we do, don't we? She doesn't do much because she's literally she's a stuffed bit of furniture by the looks of it. But yeah, that's right. Yeah, this this film goes this goes for out and out wacky comedy. Yes. Um, you know, I, I watched rewatched this again yesterday and I watched it with um, Toby Hooper's commentary. 
To be fair, he sounded a bit more with it than he did on the <laughs> the one on the first film. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I think they'd let him sleep it off a little bit. But um, yeah, and he was saying, you know, there was a lot of dark humour in the first film that people didn't seem to get. He said, so when I came to make this film, I just thought, fuck it, let's just throw it all out there, make it obvious. That's right. Uh, which they do. Um, this came out in '86. This came out really slap bang between Reanimator and Evil Dead 2. Those are the three films that I sort of like to reference when it comes to 80s horror. Yeah, yeah. That tone, that wacky comedic tone of, you know, it's balls out crazy, but we're all in it together. Let's just fucking enjoy it. Well, I mean, when you have Leatherface who appears to rub one out at one point, you're you're just like, what? What? What is he? Did he just what? <laughs> Yeah, that's when he's getting it on with um, Caroline Williams, isn't it? He's using <laughs> yeah. his chainsaw as a as a phallus. <laughs> that's exactly right. And then loses control. Yeah. yeah. Again, yes. uh, Toby Hooper does talk about that in the commentary, and he says, you know, in a in a slasher film, the knife, you know, Michael Myers uses a knife. That's a representation of the phallus of a man penetrating a woman. Yeah. So I just yeah. wanted to take it to the next level with a chainsaw. <laughs> and he did just that. Yeah. Oh my God, this this is wackiness. Or how about uh, uh, Dennis Hopper and his gun holsters of chainsaws? <laughs> Dennis Hopper, yeah, I think he was fresh out of rehab when he made this, wasn't he? <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, yeah, and uh, Toby Hooper actually says for a lot of the scenes, what Dennis Hopper would do before he before they caught yelled action was he'd run around the room in circles to get himself disorientated. <laughs> And then they call, and he'd come on and he'd be like, I am the god of hellfire! <laughs> Crazy ass shit. Yeah, it's a great film. The plot is dead simple, obviously. The Chainsaw family, they kill someone, uh, stretch the radio DJ, catches it on tape, uh, and then puts it out over the airwaves. And then uh, the family come after her, but they are being followed by Dennis Hopper's character, who is the uncle of Franklin and Sally from the first film. How about those two yuppies at the beginning? Oh, oh yeah, because we get some good Tom Savini gore effects in this one. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's uh, the, the notable thing with this film. More than the comedy is the gore. This film is fucking gory. Yes, very much so. And it's great. <laughs> Over here, Scream Factory is putting out uh, a definitive DVD. And I think from what I remember from listening to uh, my friends over at Screamcast is – they're actually going to interview the two yuppies. That's one of the new special features on that. Oh, right. On that, okay. uh, on that Blu-ray. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because over yeah. here we've got the uh, Arrow video put it out as a special box set a couple okay. of years ago. Okay. And it's got um, the film and it's got documentary with Caroline Williams and Bill Mosley. And um, it's got some Toby Hooper's early films in it, Eggshells and something else. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, you say that. <laughs> well, I mean, from a historical spec- perspective. Well, I don't drink cool. and I don't do drugs, so they were lost on me, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, but if it had been the 90s, just think. If it had been the 90s, Christ, yeah. <laughs> See? I'd have been Tell all over that. that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, they're the typical weird, um, you know, late 60s experimental art films. But, you know, it's good to have them as part of the collection. Absolutely. It's good historical stuff. I do recommend if you get it on, on Blu-ray, cleaned up picture does look very, very nice. Lots of details, again, that you, you pick up on that you won't have seen on a DVD version. Really? Yes. Because I have the uh, DVD gruesome edition. Oh, I've got that, yeah. And uh, it didn't seem, you know, it seemed very, very good. Yeah, it 
it look the gruesome edition is good for a DVD, and then you get the Blu-ray, and then you'll see. Okay, all right, fair enough. Obviously, with Blu-ray, of course, you get the benefit of sometimes things are a little bit too clear, and you can see how they do most of the the gags. Ah, you know okay. the bit where um, Dennis Hopper's got Leatherface on the end of the chainsaw. Yes, and he shoves the chainsaw through him, and he turns it to camera so you can see that it's going all the way through him. Yes. You know, and that is done by, you know, like the, the old arrow in the head gag. Yes. OK, gotcha. Yeah. Because, you know, it's how the chainsaw blade suddenly extended by about two feet so it could fit around Bill Johnson's body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you notice in this film as well, the chainsaw blades, most of them don't go around. There's a lot of revving of engines and things, but the chainsaws themselves aren't moving. Oh, man. <laughs> that, w- that was part of the allure of the first one, because, man, they moved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, t- they took the teeth off. So you've literally got the chain, just the chain spinning around. Yep, yep. And certain scenes in this one, they haven't even got that going around. <laughs> so he's waving these chainsaws around. You can hear the uh, the roar of the engine, but they're not actually moving. Well, again, it's a canon film, so it's been sliced and diced and yeah. budgets have been massacred. I mean, it's canon. What do you expect? So, yeah, I mean, we spoke about Dennis Hopper. He's absolutely mental in this film. Yep. Giving it, you know, if this had been the 70s, it would have been Peter Cushing playing that role, the Puritan. But now we've got the 80s, we've got a... Newly clean Dennis Hopper going off the deep end. That's right. That's right. Um, Caroline Williams plays Stretch. She's fantastic in this. She really is. Yeah. She does a fantastic job. Yeah, she's a really good character. She's quite ballsy, quite, uh, I don't want to say the word spunky, because that, that sounds rude. But yeah, those denim shorts she's got on um, would have been quite spunky. Yes. Yes. Oh. Uh, maybe you were. I don't know. <laughs> I would be. But yeah, Caroline Williams, she's great. She's on Twitter, Caroline Williams. Is she? Yes. If you pop her up a message and say you're a fan of the film, she'll probably reply to you. She's a very nice lady. I get the feeling that Tom may have interviewed her for Screen Magazine. Tom Elliott. Oh, really? Yeah. Something's niggling at me. I might be wrong. But yeah, yeah, she's a very nice lady. Jim Seadale's back as the cook. He's great. Bill Johnson's leather face is fine. The star of this is Bill Moseley, I think. Absolutely is. Absolutely. He plays Chop Top. I love that character. <laughs> that scene where Stretch first sees him sitting in the uh, in the DJ's office, and he's just scratching his the metal plate in his head with his coat. Oh hair. God, I know. Oh, and she's trying to get rid of him, and he just won't have it. And then Leatherface comes bursting out the record room. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, him and that heated up wire coat hanger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, it's creepy. One thing I thought of yesterday while I was watching this is, and I know the cha- all the Chainsaw films are famous for this, but the actual connection between the characters, the family. Yes. Because I've always had it on good authority that the cook and Leatherface and Chop Top and the Hitchhiker are all brothers. Okay. But I was watching it yesterday, and obviously Jim Seedow's quite a bit older than the others. Yes. And he refers to the others, like when Leatherface smashes the door down and he says, look what your brother's done. And you think, well, another brother wouldn't say that, would he? That's the thing a parent would say. Yes. I'm thinking maybe the cook is really the dad. Huh. That's interesting. But it's never thing. It's, I mean, obviously, they're from Texas. They're probably all sisters. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> yes. I'd like it yes. to meet my mother and my girlfriend. And there's only one person stood there. Yeah. <laughs> Little Bill Hicks joke there for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. A great film. It's good fun. It absolutely divorces itself from the first film. <laughs> Don't go looking for too much continuity. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's there if you want it, but to be honest, you, you'd be better off keeping the first... Like Evil Dead, keep the first film as its own thing. 
Yes. You know, and keep the sequels as something else. Absolutely. I think that's the best way to go with it. And then don't watch Army of Darkness. Why? I hate that movie. That's a great film. Did we watch the same film? Yeah. Oh. That's great fun. <laughs> oh, God. Well, well, Evil Dead's on the list. We'll get there at some point. Yeah. Oh, that means i got to watch it again. Yes, you bloody have. Shit. Okay. <laughs> so, h- how many meat hooks did you give this one? Well, I've got to say, when I first saw this film in the late 90s, because after I got the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I went and bought a load of American videotapes. Yes. And I bought the three sequels. I first thought I didn't like it at all. I was one of those, oh, it's not like the first one. <laughs> didn't like that. Okay. But it's grown on me over the years. Okay. And I love it now. I think, in all honesty, it's a four-star film or a four-meat-hook film. But because I watched it on that Arrow Blu-ray, which is fucking lovely to look at, it really is a nice print. They do a fantastic job. They do. And with all the extras as well. So the film itself is four, but because of the edition I watched and because I can, I'm going to give it four and a half. Wow. Wow. I really do enjoy this film. I don't watch it too often. I think if you watch it too often, it, it will dilute the humour and the action and everything else. But every every couple of years, I'll just stick it on and, and just soak it up. I uh, had it as a four-star film going into the last minute. Right. And I and I just was so disgusted at the chainsaw dance by uh, uh, Stretch that I gave it a three. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Okay. It just seemed like a bad ending. I haven't seen the gruesome edition for some time, but during that scene... When the the camera's on stretch and it pans back, can you see the traffic in the background? I actually didn't pay attention. Because I know on the very first UK DVD, which I've got, the camera pans back and you can see traffic on the highway in the background, which suggests, you know, this is only happening a mile or so from the main highway. And on the Blu-ray, it's been changed. They've changed the aspect ratio and you can't see it. You just see her in the middle of the frame. I don't think there's any traffic in this. Uh, I couldn't remember if it's on the gruesome edition or not. But my my take was is only Gunnar Hansen does that dance. And anybody else that does it is, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I think they're just subverting it. You know, last time it was Leatherface, now we're making her do it. Yeah, 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 I I get it. You know, like you'd have a male character do something in one film, and in the sequel you do have the female character do it, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. to hold a mirror up to it. Yeah, it doesn't offend me. Well, we'll get We'll get to that when we get to the remake, too. All right. Interesting. Right, then. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm going to say four and a half. What did you say? Three. But it's still... It's a good movie. Okay. And, uh, you know, yeah. Fair enough. Right, then. Yeah. That one's uh, done and done. That one's done and done. I'm just going to call up the next one. Which is Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. From 1990. Let's play a clip. Let's do it. Some tales are told, then soon forgotten. But a legend is forever.
Space, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Now, from the producers of A Nightmare on Elm Street, the real terror begins November 3rd. Right then, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, directed by Jeff Burr, starring Kate Hodge, R.A. Mihailoff, William Butler, Vigo Mortensen, Ken Faree, Tom Everett, and Joe Unger. That about covers it. That about covers it. You may have noticed there's a couple of familiar names in that cast list. Yes. Ken Faree from Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Vigo Mortensen from Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Oh, all the top names. Right then, do you need a plot for this one? Yeah, give them a plot. Go on then. A California couple and a survivalist encounter Leatherface and his family. Ooh. Exactly. Right then. Had you seen this before you watched it for this podcast? No. So this was a first watch as well? Yes. Right. Okay. I first saw this back in the late 90s. Like I said, I picked up all the sequels. Okay. Okay. So yeah, this didn't get a UK release until DVD. But I happen to think the UK DVD is a pretty good addition because you get a quite tasty little documentary with it. And I did not get that one. You had to uh, direct me to a uh, place where I could watch it. And I... I love the documentary. It was it was really, really interesting from a historical perspective. Yeah, because this is a film that gets quite a bit of shit. Um, not as much as the next film does, <laughs> and rightly so. But, um, yeah, this is a weird one because it's not Toby Hooper. Uh, there's no Gunnar Hansen. There's no Jim Cedar. There's nothing that connects this back to the first two films. But yet we've got Leatherface. We've got a family. We've got people out in the woods. And we've got a, cha- and we've got a chainsaw. I think that's really the the only connection is we've got uh, uh, Chainsaw and Leatherface. Yeah, I think this was a time when, well, I mean, this film was originally released by New Line Cinema. Uh, it was made in 89, released in 90. And obviously around that time, they were riding high with the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Right. And obviously around that time, the Friday the 13th films were getting a lot of shit from the censors and all that sort of stuff. And obviously New Line would go on to buy the rights to Jason a bit later on. So, yeah, I think this was an attempt of uh, from New Line to sort of, you know, what other horror characters can we put out there alongside Freddy? Exactly. I mean, exactly right. I don't I think if you watch that documentary, they really didn't know what they had, what they were doing. I, I think the most interesting thing on the documentary was... um they talked about New Line's relationship with the uh, MPAA and its uh, inability to get an R rating. Yeah. Which I found really interesting. But yeah, I mean, they were trying to capitalize on what was starting to become a franchise driven genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we're getting, you know, you're getting sequels left and right. You know, why not try and capitalize on a movie? I mean, you know. Yeah, they got the rights to Texas Chainsaw, so they put this out. But if this one takes a definite left turn from. Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah, the the tone is a lot nastier in this one. Yes. It's a lot yes. more serious. You could even say that this is a sequel where possibly Leatherface went and found himself a bunch of crazy-ass people and brought them all together as a family. Yeah, yeah, he could have done. Yeah, so there's no connection to any previous family members in this one. No. But there's a whole new bunch of characters. Yeah, going back to the making of quickly, it was... They hired Jeff Burr to direct this one. Jeff Burr's not, I wouldn't say he's an auteur of any sort. He's a competent filmmaker. He's one of those directors you get for a sequel, or if you can't finish your film properly, your director's walked off, you get in Jeff Burr to finish it off. He's one of those guys. Yep. He's a reliable director. He's done some of the Puppet Master films. I think he did one of the Pumpkin Heads, didn't he? 
Or am I making that up? And no, 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 you're not. I think he did. Let's have a look. He did Pumpkinhead 2. Yeah, we'll we'll get there at some point. I hope. Yeah, and he's done Stepfather 2. And yep. Yeah, Puppet Master 4 and 5. Night of the Scarecrow he did. So, yeah, he's a, he's a name in the, within the genre, but he's very much a director for hire. He got a shit run when he was making this. He wasn't their first choice. I don't even think he was their hundredth choice. No, he was basically bottom of the list, I think. <laughs> Because Peter Jackson's name was mentioned. I think Sam Raimi's name may have been mentioned as well. Those sort of guys, they didn't take it on. Jeff Burr did it, and basically he got screwed by the studio, so they fired him. They wouldn't let him basically make the film he wanted to make. Yep. So they fired him, but then discovered they couldn't get anyone else to do it, so they got him back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like three days later. And I think he basically came back and said, right, if I'm going to do it, here's what I'm going to do. And they, they had to reach a compromise. Yeah, it's an interesting documentary. It's only half an hour long, but it's not very many documentaries you get where you get to hear both sides of the argument. You've got Jeff Burr saying one, his side of it, and then you've got some of the produ- production guys from New Line giving their side. Yep. And obviously, ultimately, everything comes down to money. Yes. Um, you can see Jeff Burr's point exactly. He was being restricted on everything that he wanted to do. But I think the end result, whilst it's not a great film per se, it's an enjoyable film. It's certainly better than a lot of the. It's better than any of the Elm Street sequels past number three, I'd say. It it really wasn't all that bad of a film. I actually enjoyed this one. You got Leatherface. You got the chainsaw. He's got a specially huge chainsaw in this one that they've had made for him. You know, he actually you actually get to see him carve some people up in this film. You're back to a more serious and gritty type of tone. You are. It's not that, uh, you know, not that almost pseudo comedic tone of number two. No, no, no. It's very, very, uh, oh, I say serious, but yeah, it is. It's a serious film. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall, I really, as a first time watching it, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it as a film, there's no reason at all that this film shouldn't have been given a certificate when it was first released. You know, cause there's nothing in here that the Friday the 13th films weren't doing at the time. Oh, exactly. But I think a lot of it seemed to be personal relationship between New Line and MPAA. Yeah, in the U.S., you would have had that over here. Obviously, it was called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so it's not going to get a certificate from Jim Furman. Yep. R.A. Mihailov plays Leatherface. I quite like him as Leatherface. He's a big, bulky guy. Exactly. You would have seen him in uh, Hatchet 2. He's very good in that. He's in quite a few things. Interestingly enough, if you watch the trailer for this film, have you seen the trailer? I didn't watch the trailer. Watch the trailer. It's a take on Excalibur with the sword coming out the lake, uh, the chainsaw, sorry, coming out the lake, and it flies through the air. Leatherface catches it and turns around. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. talked about that on the uh, on the documentary, and they showed a little clip. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I'm right, I haven't watched the documentary for a while. If I'm right, that's Kane Hodder. I think it is. I think they mentioned that as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's Kane Hodder as Leatherface. Uh, and Kane Hodder's also played Freddy. Did you know that? Yes. Yes, I did. In Jason Goes to Hell, the arm that comes out at the end, that's Kane Hodder as well. And he's been Jason, and he's Hatchet as well. So there you go. He gets around. Yes, he does. Uh, The other character of note in this that I wanted to mention is William Butler, who plays Ryan, the main guy, because he's quite notable for being one of the only few people to have been killed by most of the big slasher monsters. Oh, he talks about that. And he mentions it. Yes, he does. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the guy the the guy in the glasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was in Friday the 13th, Part 7. <laughs> so he got killed by Jason. Yep. He was in the Freddy's Nightmares TV series. He was in this. He was also in the Night of the Living Dead remake. What else was he in? He was in something else. I'm sure he was. Oh, he's in Ghoulies 2 as well. 
Yeah, yeah. And I do think he is, I'm sure he was in one of the Halloween films. Oh, I'm sure he had to be. But it's not listed on his IMDb, but it may be an uncredited. I'm sure he was in one of the Halloweens. we got to watch the documentary again. Yeah, he does mention, because I'm sure he says he got killed by Michael Myers as well. Yeah, I remember him laughing about that in the documentary. It was quite good. He's also the creator of the Ginger Dead Man series. Oh, God. Uh, he also, oh dear, <laughs> he also wrote Return oh. of the Living Dead 4 and 5. Oh, my. Oh, dear. Oh, 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 that, that, okay. That's not very good at all, is it? Let's go back to him talking about getting killed by all the biggies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh. he's one of those guys. You would have seen him in a lot of those films from, from that era. Ken Faree is the other notable name in here. Yes. Dawn of the Dead. Now, did it bother you the fact that he got his head chainsawed in half and then came back at the end? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Minor detail. That is the biggest flaw in this film, is that yes. his character gets killed with a chainsaw through the head. Yeah, yeah. And then they showed it to test audiences, apparently, and they they were like, oh, we liked him. <laughs> so they recut the film and they bring him back at the end with a slight graze on the side of his head. <laughs> a little band-aid. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> Got a little plaster on it. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, it is. Th- it is one of those films... Like I said, it's not great. It's full of holes. It is quite ludicrous in places. But for a slasher sequel, it's absolutely good fun. It's not bad at all. And interesting, both number two and number three did offer the role to Gunnar Hansen. He turned down number two because he was writing in Maine. Um, They did come to him number three and he considered it. But apparently the the pay was uh, the issue. Scale. I think he was just being offered scale. Exactly. And uh, he didn't want it. Yep. He felt he deserved more, and he did. I mean, he is Leatherface. Whenever you think of Leatherface to me, I always think of Gunnar Hansen. You say he deserves more. If we were talking about Robert England, you know, I'd say, yeah, okay. Gunnar Hansen, he's made one great... But he's Leatherface. He's, he's made one great film. But he's Leatherface. And he played a character, and you don't see his face. He's Leatherface. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not one of them. As much as I love this series, I'm not one of them that thinks only Gunnar Hansen can play Leatherface. Gotcha. And we'll gotcha. get there even more so on the next show. Gotcha. Um, so what did you give this one? I gave it 3.5 meat hooks. And in point of fact, I did like this just a little bit more than Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah, I mean, I could understand that if somebody said that. That's... I'd still like a Blu-ray release of this in the UK because there isn't one. I don't even know if we have one here, to be honest. Yep, three, three and a half meat hooks. Yeah, it's an enjoyable film. Um, it's full of plot holes. I mean, it doesn't even take place in Texas. It's filmed in California. Right, well. Which Jeff Burr says in the documentary, says there's a certain scene you can hear Disney World rides in the background. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I really, that's why I want a Blu-ray, because I want to put it through a real proper audio system, <laughs> see if I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like Texas. It doesn't have the feel of... The first film, or even the second film, it doesn't matter. Take it as a slasher film. Well, he talks about they were shooting China Beach and another eighties, um, late eighties, nineties. Uh, Tour of Duty. Thank you. On either side of them, so you could hear Huey helicopters and everything else. Yeah, you had Vietnam on one side and Disney World on the other. Exactly, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those films. The, the the genesis of the film and how it came to be is probably more interesting than the actual film itself. If you're going to watch it, watch the documentary. It is on YouTube. If you can't get, if it's not on your DVD copy, put it into context, and it's just a it's a great slasher film. 
Absolutely. It, it is. And we didn't even mention Vigo. Well, we did. Well, we said he was in it. Or that little girl. Talk about creepy. She's in another film. God almighty. I think she's in one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films playing a creepy little girl. She was creepy. Yeah. But Vigo's pretty good in this because he's the seemingly, air quotes, normal one of the family. But then he goes batshit at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I wasn't convinced that he was a uh, a cowboy. He looked a bit too European for that. Well, yeah. But uh, no, he's fine. You can see why he went on to bigger things, though, because he's quite a good... Uh, he did, yeah, exactly. He does stand out quite a bit from the other guys. Yeah, yeah. I think the only one who really came close was the little girl, just because she only had a few lines and scenes, but she was creepy. Yeah, yeah, they let her press the button to swing the axe down at the end, didn't they? <laughs> yes, they did. Thump. Yeah. yeah, that's quite a good scene. And uh, You told me it was my turn next time. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's some good gore in this film. There's some good violence. But say, don't go looking for uh, high art because it's not there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right then, shall we move on? Yeah, let's... No, let's go ahead and wrap it up. No, let's move on to the one that I know you've been waiting for. Oh, God. Your favourite film. Uh, yes. And I know it is. Yes. From 1994, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Yeah, can we just skip this one? No. <laughs> we'll play a trailer. <laughs> Each of us has known the fear of being alone, lost in the darkness, faced with the unknown. But there is one fear shrouded in our past, lost in our subconscious, that should never have been forgotten. A fear so deep, it cuts to the bone. American legend returns to bring you back to the cutting edge of terror. Welcome to my world. Hello, you got huh? Don't you ever touch me? If you're gonna kill me, then do it. Matthew McConaughey of A Time to Kill. Renee Zellweger of Jerry Maguire. Are you having fun here? <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The next generation. If looks could kill, he wouldn't need a chainsaw. Oh, the trailer's better than the fucking film, right? Yes, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yes it is. Right then, Texas Chainsaw Massacre the Next Generation, otherwise known as The Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Directed by the legend, the Oscar-winning director that is, Kim Henkel. He's not really an Oscar winner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, directed by Kim Henkel, starring Renee Zellweger. Yes. Oh, yes. Matthew McConaughey, Robert Jacks, Tony Perensky, Joe Stevens, Lisa Marie Newmar, and James Gale. Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. Oh, the two legends of the screen brought together in an exciting bloodbath orgy. Something like that. Or not. Or not. Yeah. Renee Zellweger, Matthew McConaughey, before they were famous, 
Yeah. <laughs> it, it... Right, shall I read the uh, synopsis for this one? Yeah, go ahead. A group of teenagers get into a car crash in the Texas woods on prom night and then wander into an old farmhouse that is home to Leatherface and his insane family of cannibalistic psychopaths. Now, that sounds like a good film to me when I read that. I look at that and I think, wow, that sounds like that's the can, that's the Texas Chainsaw film I've been waiting for. Exactly. And then I watch it and then I remember that it really fucking isn't. No, no. I don't even know where to start with this. I don't know where to start with this one. This film is fucking terrible. I am, like I said, I'm the Texas Chainsaw Apologist. I will defend part three. You know, I'll sit there and take the piss that Ken Faree's head gets chopped off and then stitched back on for the end scene or whatever. That's fine. I'll defend that. There's nothing in this film I can defend. No, though, there's nothing. If you'd never seen a Texas Chainsaw film, or if you had seen a Texas Chainsaw film, actually, and somebody watched this, they'd go... What the fuck was that all about? Yeah. I would, to quote you, I would say, I got nothing. Yep. There's exactly one highlight in the whole movie. There is one highlight, and that is, see if you've got to say the same thing as me. When Matthew McConaughey's robotic leg goes crazy. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was going to say the one highlight of the film is is Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) Oh, I mean, the acting was great. No, no, No question there. I would say if anybody saw Killer Joe from a couple of years ago and Matthew McConaughey in that was great. If anybody saw that and went, wow, I didn't know Matthew McConaughey could do a, a crazy performance like that. I thought he was the rom-com guy. Watch this. Yes. This is where it comes from. The seeds of his Killer Joe performance are here. Yes. That is the only good thing in this film. Renee Zellweger's crap. She's crapping everything. She's crapping this. Leatherface is played by Robert Jacks. Emo's women been played by fucking zippy and bungle from rainbow i don't know he's yeah he comes across like a teenager with a mullet he doesn't kill anyone with the chainsaw i don't think he actually kills anyone full stop yeah come to think of it the deaths in this film are crap aren't they yeah matthew mcconaughey kills someone by breaking their neck that other girl gets set on fire and that other guy gets doesn't he get shot i can't remember the only thing the only thing leatherface does of this one is put on makeup Oh, yeah, they really um, go down the route of making Leatherface a transvestite. Yep. Don't know why. Um, I know in the first film, um, Gunnar Hansen's Leatherface put on that mask when he was pretending to be the, ma- the mum of the family when he was cooking their dinner. Yes. So I presume it said somebody saw that and just completely misunderstood and said, oh, we'll make him a slutty hooker. Serial killer, yeah. Yeah, uh, it doesn't work. It's fucking, just talking about it's bringing me down, man. I know. The only character... So I like Matthew McConaughey. I will say I did like Joe Stevens' character, the guy who keeps quoting all the presidents. Just for the bit where he stands up and says, there's nothing to fear but fear himself, and Matthew McConaughey just twats him (laughs) in the face. That always makes me snigger, that bit. Oh, God. I always sniggered at his... Because Matthew McConaughey in this movie has got, what, a robot leg, or is it a robot hand, too? No, he's got like a robot brace on his leg. That's it. Which gives him, if I remember right, superhuman strength. Yeah, because he picks people up and flips them over. Yep, yep. While all this is going on, and they're all terrorizing Renee Zellweger's character, we get Mr. Rothman come in, who is a guy from the Illuminati. Because it turns out that all of these chainsaw families, they're all part of a big conspiracy. I forgot about him. You forgot Uh, about him. That's the main bit of the plot. Well, I forgot. He's got this oh. hair that looks like a wig, but I don't think it is. It's weird. He opens his shirt. He's got these rings <laughs> hanging off of his stomach and his chest. 
He comes up in a limo. He's in a limo. <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> yeah, and it turns out that oh. Vilma, who is the Matthew McConaughey character, works for the Illuminati to put to as an experiment to put what makes people scared. <laughs> Not this shit, that's for sure. And then, oh god, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, to be fair, he's probably the. <laughs> Well, I like it when he turns up because I know the film's near the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just... <laughs> Kim Henkel wrote and directed this. And Kim Henkel co-wrote the first film. Now, I don't know about his medical history. <laughs> I don't either. But, I, but the... I'm guessing between the two films, he must have had a stroke or some sort of breakdown. Because who the fuck... I'd, I'd love to know Toby Hooper's thoughts on this film. I just want to know his thoughts on the Illuminati thing. Where did where the hell did they pull that thing out of? I don't know. And then you get the chase at the end. Matthew McConaughey gets hit down by a, a, a what do you call it? A crop duster? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Those planes that spray the chemicals. So yep, crop duster. That appears out of nowhere, like like the helicopter at the end of Demons. It just appears. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the uh. guy flies around and obviously sees. Rene Zellweger being chased, so he flies down and knocks Matthew McConaughey in the face with the wheel of his plane and then just flies off. Doesn't land to see that he's just killed somebody. Then we get an old couple in a camper <laughs> who Leatherface sort of runs after it and hits it with the chainsaw and it hits a bump and falls over. And then Rene Zellweger gets picked up by Mr. Rothman again, who very kindly takes her to a hospital. Yeah, I mean, he's a nice guy, right? Where she's interviewed by the guy who played Grandpa in the first film. Really? Yeah, he's playing the copper. The 18-year-old kid that played Grandpa, huh? Yeah, he's the copper at the end of this one. And also, did you notice Marilyn Burns laying on the gurney? No. I, at this point, I was just like, where are the end credits? I wasn't noticing anything. Marilyn Burns is laying on the gurney, and she's being pushed by Franklin, <laughs> who can walk. That's funny. He's not really playing Franklin, but it's Paul Partain. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. There's your three cameos in the original film. This film, honestly, it is fucking shite. I love this series. I love Rednecks. I love Cannibals. I love Chainsaws. All of the film things I love, you don't get in this. You get some shouty people. You get the Illuminati, some bullshit fucking writing. Where did they get the Illuminati from? I forgot about that guy. I think if... Wouldn't it be great if the Illuminati came out of the woodwork and said, yes, we do exist, and we're suing Kim Henkel for this utter, utter bollocks? Oh, God. You know, they could say, yeah, all right, we exist. We may have shot Kennedy. We may have done things with Adolf Hitler. We may have done things in throughout history that have been absolutely terrible, but we do not condone this utter, utter crap. Oh, even the South Park episode where they had the uh, the rabbits... Oh, I don't know. I don't watch South Park. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, even that was funnier than this. Oh, my God. I would urge people to watch this film purely to say, you've seen it. <laughs> don't watch this film. Um, no. Honestly, if you if you really want to do yourself some damage, watch it. Oh, no. So I'm running out of, I'm running out of bad things to say about it now. It's just, I, I don't know. Now the only image I have in my mind is of the Illuminati guy opening his shirt and there's all those rings. And you're just like, oh, why did we have to see and that? Yeah, he wants Rene Zellweger to kiss his ring, doesn't she? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, it... yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that one's done and done. That I mean, one's that... done and done. How many meat hooks do you give this one? 
the lowest I could a half. Half. Uh, see, I liked it a lot more than you. I'm giving it one. Why? I give it a one because I like Matthew McConaughey in it. Okay. And I like I just love that bit where it, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And then he gets a, like a <laughs> butt of a shotgun in the face. It's just funny. <laughs> Good comic timing on the actor's part. <laughs> oh, goodness. No, I would not recommend it. If if you're going to do a Texas Chainsaw Marathon, miss this one out completely. There's no, no real enjoyment to be had apart from if you're doing a film studies and you want to know how not to do a sequel. Or, or you know what? Here's even better. Just watch the last 20 minutes. Yeah, just watch the final chase, and that's it. There's nothing in the build-up that, that's of any payoff later on. Exactly. No one nothing. dies by chainsaw. No one dies by... Someone does get hung on a meat hook, actually, but you don't see any blood or anything. It's not done as well as the first film. Uh, Leatherface is crap. He looks like a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. I don't know. Fuck it. Let's not bother anymore. Done. Yeah, yeah, we're done with that. Right, then. That's the first four films done and dusted. Yes, yes. Crop dusted, I should say, after the last film. So. <laughs> oh. It probably cost more to hire the fucking plane than it did to pay a decent script, right? Anyway. Oh, God. Anyway, that one's done. We've got some feedback. We do. Would you like to read out our feedback? Yes. This is from Amanda over at Made for TV Mayhem podcast. Uh, her and Danny, her uh, uh, co-hosted Nate... The other co-host focus on TV movies, Ooh. and uh, there's really some uh, great ones that they talk about. Uh, I, w- I watch most movies on my TV. Oh, made for TV movies. Ah, uh, like Omen Four. Yes, like Omen Four. Have uh, <laughs> they covered that one? No. Oh, well, there you go. There's one. Uh, for there's a little suggestion for you, Amanda. With the uh, you know passing of Larry Drake, um, they did talk about one of his movies around Christmas time called Night of the Scarecrow. Ah, very, yes, very good movie. Uh, William Butler, who we've just been talking about, was in that. Yes, I think he was. Yes, uh, but anyway, she says, "Hi guys, I just want to throw out some thoughts on the long history of Texas Chainsaw Massacre's films. Well, mostly from the first batch. I've seen the remake and stuff that followed, but did not much care for it." I thought the remake was missing all the key ingredients that made the original so freaky. However, I think I'm in a minority on this. Well, we'll see, Amanda. Maybe you're not. As I've heard some really positive things about it lately. But for me, everything after part four is something I can skip. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. As for the original, I was lucky enough to see it in the theaters a few years ago with Toby Hooper doing a Q&A. I also got to see him speak at a screening of Life Force, Life Force, which was just hysterical because the audience Q&A was really a bunch of guys who were teenagers when it first came out and wanted to thank Hooper for casting the gorgeous Matilda May in the lead. They get my my full support on that one. (laughs) Anyway, seeing it on the big screen, and I do mean big, the screening was at America Cinematheque, and their projection is just amazing. It was a thrill. It's one of those movies that never fails to terrify me. Even as time passes, TCM really doesn't age the way a lot of other horror films have. It's still a masterpiece. You know, and that's one thing I will say is even today, if I were to put it on, I would cringe at that very first kill. It's just still the way they do it, the way it's framed, the way it's filmed. It's like, ooh, you know. I think they all are. Yeah, yeah. It's uh... Anyways, she goes on to say, I'm only so-so on the sequel, but always – 
up to give it another go. I'm not sure why I didn't care for it, but I always had the feeling of indifference when I think about it. Yet I'm a fan of the third one for sure, and probably my favorite in terms of rewatchability. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, maybe it's v- Viggo Mortensen, Mortensen and his red nail polish, but it's fun and pretty damn good for a late 80s horror flick. I also got to see the fourth one in the theater, and while I can't remember much, I thought Matthew McConaughey was a blast. It's too bad that Renee Zellweger discounts it, or at least I feel she has, because she's not bad in it, and it's fun. I'd kill to get chased around by Leatherface. Take that as you will. We will, Amanda. Really enjoy the concept of the show as well as listening to it. I'm looking forward to your thoughts. Take care, Amanda. But yeah, so we're all in agreement, although I think she may think more of tng than we do oh perhaps so perhaps so but um yeah it's nice yeah. to hear that she likes part three quite a lot because uh, yeah i said it doesn't get a lot of love it and i don't know why i mean i rated it only a half me hook higher than number uh uh number two but i really i really enjoyed number yeah three. Like i say i'd rather watch that than any of the later nightmare on elm streets or you know some of the the worst friday the 13th films yeah, exactly, exactly. And the other thing she said was about Texas Chainsaw 2, that she wasn't that hot on it and needs to watch it again. I think it's one of those, if you can watch the best edition that you can, like you say, there's a Scream Factory Blu-ray coming out over in the US. If you can get hold of that, I think that will make all the difference and it will go up in your estimation. Yeah, it comes out in April. Excellent. Well, that's one to look out for. Over here, we've got the Arrow set. And if you're in the UK, I recommend getting it. Very cool. Or you have uh, lucky enough to have a region free Blu-ray player. All that as well. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Um, we've also had some audio feedback from our good friends and spiritual brethren over at Strange and Deadly Show, Tom and Chris. So, uh, yeah, we'll give that a little play and then we'll uh, we'll comment afterwards. Hello, Chris and Myron. It's me, Chris Clayton here, and I'm joined by... Tom Elliott. Oh, Mr. Tom Elliott's there. Of course, you can never separate us. We always come as a twosome. That's a bit weird. Uh, so here we are presenting feedback to you because you've always done it to us on uh, the strange and deadly show which is where we hail from i'm not going to promote the show any more than that um but yeah we're here to talk about texas chainsaw massacre aren't we tom we are yes uh we won't take up too much of your time because we could probably talk about these all day but Mm. that's your job this time so we will just give a couple of quick thoughts on each movie yeah that's right we actually covered this on a a previous show we kind of went through the the first film the classic of course uh, i think one of the best horror movies ever made and I think you would probably agree with that as well, Tom. Yeah, un- untouchable, really. You know, it is what it is, and I will, um, I will fight anyone who says any different. Yeah, it's just so easy to to rewatch it. Really, it's just so rewatchable. I never get tired of it. It's uh, amazingly tense. Really, having very little in the way of music, it's got all this sort of discordant noise in it, and I always sort of go back to the moment where Leatherface, you know, smashes the guy down with the mallet, and there's there's no build up music. So it's it's yeah. really just very quick and brutal and and kind of unrelenting in that way and I, I, nothing like that had really happened at that point in horror cinema. So that's quite a standout moment to me, really. You can sort of build atmosphere and, and fear and tension without sort of telegraphing everything with scary music, which tends to happen a lot in horror movies nowadays. But I mean, look, it's a film that's I'm sure you guys have actually absolutely rinsed it to death. So we're not going to talk about it too much. But the, the sequels are interesting, aren't they, Tom? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 couldn't be more different than the original. I think to enjoy the sequels, you kind of have to divorce yourself from the first one and just accept that they're different. They 
they're not on the same level but and just try and enjoy them for what they are and that starts with Texas Chainsaw 2 even though it's a Toby Hooper movie which I I've really grown to to like quite a lot over the years yeah it's chaotic absolutely chaotic mm. and you know I always go back to that quote by Mark Kermode I don't, I, don't, I don't think it actually came from him but he always mentions it I think it might have come from from Kim Newman actually where uh, he was saying that not only does Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 look like it wasn't made by the same guy who made the original, it looks like it, it was made by somebody who hadn't even seen the original. <laughs> and I think that's very true, is that it, it really is. It's almost, I think it is really, it's Toby Hooper sort of making fun of the first film. And uh, yeah, yeah. I suppose in a similar way to uh, to what Joe Dante did when he made Gremlins 2, which is just taking the piss out of the first one, really. So how about the third one? Have you seen it yet? Because last time we spoke about these, I don't think you had. No, <laughs> I've not chance <laughs> to watch it yet. Or the uh, sequel to the remake either. Which, or not the sorry, not the sequel. It was a reboot, wasn't it? It was a sequel to the original. I'm getting yeah, confused. Right. Texas Chainsaw. Uh, that was the other one that I hadn't seen. Those are the only two I've not seen in the franchise. No, but I heard it's not too bad. I think it's okay as a, as a bit of a standalone slasher. It, it's all right, you know. I'm. I'm I could watch it and and enjoy it, I think, definitely, definitely, which is probably not what I would say about the next instalment. You, so you've seen that one? I, unfortunately so. Yeah, the Texture of Massacre, The Next Generation. And uh, it stars Matthew McConaughey, of course, and Renee Zellweger. And I always have a bit of respect for Matthew McConaughey because he is still willing to talk about the film and he always said that he had a good time making it. He knows that it's terrible. And Renee yeah. Zellweger... I don't think he's ever spoken about it since it came out. So I think that sort of tells you because you, you know, you can't think of it seriously. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. I'm interested to hear what, what Chris and Myron think of it. Well, that's true because I know Chris is a big chainsaw fan. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I can't recall where Myron sits with the rest of them. Um, so can even, can it even, um, you know, have some high points for Chris. I don't know. That <laughs> that might be pushing it. I think it's possible, though, because he likes a lot of stuff that I don't. And a lot of stuff <laughs> that I do, but a lot of stuff that I don't. So I can imagine if anyone's going to would have been impressed by it, it would have been him. Entertainingly rubbish, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we've, uh, we've gone on for about four or five minutes here, so we will hand you back to your show. Keep up the good work, fellas. It's always enjoyable listening to you going through these franchises. Yes. I love you both very much. Bye. Bye. Thanks very much, Tom and Chris. They make a couple of good points in that, don't you think? Yep, I do. Um, although I don't think we rinsed it as uh, thoroughly as they thought we might, but it's really hard to rinse the first one. It has been so talked about that, you know, we all know it's a classic. That's it. And it's just, you know, although it is still fun to talk about parts of it, it's it's tough to really go through the whole thing like that. Yeah, it's a film you just need to experience, isn't it? Yes, yes. You can tell people about it, but you need to experience it. Yep, yep, exactly. But um, I like to think that I surprised them a bit by not loving The Next Generation as much as they thought I would. (laughs) I know. You even surprised me. I'd forgotten that. (laughs) We have spoken about it before, though, haven't we? We have. On a previous podcast. (laughs) Yeah, and I thought uh, I I remember you liking it more than you did. No, I didn't like it. I, I think before I sort of said, I hate this film, it's crap, but I'll watch it. Yes. And I watched it again this time. Or nah, this really is <laughs> dregs, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Oh, but there you go. Yeah, thanks very much, Tom and Chris. Yep, yep. And you know what? On, on number two and number three in the TNG, I think they both came down on exactly 
you know, some of the things that we both said. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much reading off the same uh, hymn sheet there. Yeah, I think so, too. It's uh, Or, as we say in America, singing off the same page of the hymn. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks. Nice to hear their voices on our show for once. Absolutely. Well, Tom's Tom's voice, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have a dig at Chris every time. <laughs> well, I think you and both you and Tom are sort of seen as the silky-voiced pair on our respective podcasts, and then me and Chris are just... We're both called Chris, and we're both just <laughs> constantly digging at each other, <laughs> just for a laugh. <laughs> Gotta have a gotta gotta take the piss every now and again. I see. It's all good fun. We're all friends. Alrighty then. So that's the first four. That's the first four. We will cover the uh, the next three films, the remake, the prequel, and the belated sequel in the next show. I'm looking forward to that. Yes, that will be an interesting one. Yeah, that's that that's going to be interesting. I think it will be because these four films we've only talked about one of them, right? Uh, have we? I don't know if we've even talked about them. No, the three that we're doing next time, we haven't spoken about them. That'll be interesting. Well, I mean, if you want to know my thoughts, you can go on Letterbox <laughs> and just follow my timeline. I actually try not to do that. No, I know. it's just uh, Believe it or not. I did watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake uh, a couple of years ago, and I did write quite a lengthy reason why I feel the way I do about it. Interesting. Which is on Letterbox. So there's a bit of a heads up for you. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, we'll get there in detail next time. Right then, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. We've got a film that we're just going to talk about, which is part of a box set of three films that are being released by, or have been released by the time this comes out, by uh, Arrow Video. Yes. The box set is called American Horror Project Volume 1. Basic idea of it is that Arrow are picking up American films from sort of the 70s, possibly the 80s. Hopefully they'll go into that era as well. That maybe don't get as much love as perhaps they should. Basically, the unsung gems of the uh, of the horror genre. Yes. Uh, the three films are The Premonition, The Witch You Came From The Sea, and Malatesta's Carnival of Blood. We're going to split them up, because we've already covered four films this show anyway, so we're going to split them up, and we're going to look at one of them now, which we're going to do Malatesta's Carnival of Blood. So, here's a clip. Vina. Have you started dinner yet? Yes, Mom. Vina? Yes, Mother, I started dinner. Why don't you stay for dinner, Mr. Blood? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you very much for your generous hospitality. But I prefer to take my meals at home. Doctor's orders. Oh, I... How about a beer, then? Thanks again, but no thanks. I'm on a very strict diet. Oh, I don't believe it. You look pretty healthy to me, Mr. Blood. <laughs> <laughs> Discipline, Mrs. Norris. My metabolism is most unusual. Five years ago, the doctor gave me six months. Strict regimen. I feel every moment as a triumph over death. Who's in there? My parents. Shh. Uh, I can't talk now. Can I meet you later? Okay, the ghoul's eye. Listen, something bad's happened. Something to the Davises. Look here, what did I tell you? Carnival's a great place for young people. Your daughter's made friends already. Hello, Kit. Through for the day? Kit's a shy one, isn't he? See you tomorrow, Norris. 
get you settled in. Lucky's here, Frank. I know it. And something awful's happened to him. If he's here, we'll find him. I don't like that, Mr. Blood. We should leave, Frank. We should get out of here tonight. This place, it's evil. I can feel it. And if something's happened to him, then I'll have my revenge. Right then, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood, 1973. Directed by Christopher Spieth and starring Janine Carrizo, Jerome Dempsey, Daniel Dietrich, Lenny Baker, Hervé... I, could, I always get this guy's name wrong. Hervé Villachez and, yeah. and William Preston. This is an odd, odd film. <laughs> Slightly. It's an odd, odd film. There's really not a whole lot in terms of plot on this one. Yeah. Essentially, a family goes to a carnival to see if they can find their missing daughter. That's the plot. Well, they go to the carnival posing as... Carnival workers. Posing as... They're going there for a job, but they're really looking for their missing son. Was it son or daughter? Son. Son. Okay. That is basically it. The um, manager of the uh, carnival is a chap called Mr. Blood. Yes. Because that really wouldn't give you a clue, would it? No. No. (laughs) No. Uh, he's played by Jerome Dempsey. Yeah, and he sort of leads the family around and offers them this job, and he pops up every so often to sort of be a little bit weird. He reminded me of... Um, you ever seen the film Carnival of Souls? No. You've never seen Carnival of Souls? Don't think I have. Ooh, you need to see that. Absolute classic. Yeah, it's public domain, so you can get it anywhere. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, if you like 60s sort of transgressive cinema and you like Night of the Living Dead, watch Carnival of Souls. Don't whatever you do, watch the Wes Craven Presents Carnival of Souls remake from the 90s. Okay. That makes Texas Chainsaw Next Generation look like The Exorcist. Oh, God. It really is fucking uh, terrible. Okay. All right. But yeah. Look up Carnival of Souls. Um, the guy who directed it was called um, Herc Harvey. German okay. guy, And he's in the film. And there's a very, very famous scene where the, the main woman in it is at a carnival. It's black and white. And the Herc Harvey character, he's like a ghost and he appears and he comes towards the camera. If you look at that scene and then look at the character of Mr. Blood in this film, I think that's what what they were going for. Okay, okay. It's, uh, boy, this is just a weird film. It is, but but it's not a bad film. No, no, it's almost one you can't describe. Mm. You have to go watch it. Yeah. Because it's a collection of almost visual representations of stuff you it's just it's really hard to to tell because it's 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 a psychedelic nightmare yes yes is what it is you know we're in the early 70s carnivals and all sorts of weirdness people getting killed going missing there's zombie-like characters wandering around doing all sorts of things with a little what's that guy got he's got uh, like a stick with a spike on the end for picking up litter yeah yeah it is a really weird film it is and I think if you buy this um, this box set, the film comes with an intro from Stephen Thrower, the author who wrote uh, Nightmare USA. And he says in the intro, if you go into it with no preconception of plot and structure and just let it do its thing, let it wash over you, then it's quite an enjoyable little gem. Yes, yes. And it is. It really is. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a unique collection of little visual subplots that somehow come cobbled together and sort of make a movie yeah it reminded me a lot of blood-sucking freaks have you seen that no really yeah it reminded me a lot of that very in the tone and the way it was shot it doesn't have as much nudity and 
overt sexuality as bloodsucking freaks does but um very similar sort of uh setup if you like and uh yeah it's if you love 70s horror films and you, you like lots of drugs which you probably need to watch it you'll probably get a shitload out of this film but it, it is it's a it's a and I'm glad that they 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 kind of uh, saved this one from obscurity. I'm glad uh, Arrow put it out, and it's a, a region free DVD, if I'm correct, right? Uh, I believe it is. Um, yep, it's a Blu-ray, not a DVD. I, <laughs> I meant Blu-ray. And uh, yeah, this was a lost film for many many years, and it was discovered in the late '90s, I think. And the director put it out on DVD back then, and that's the only way it's been available for the yes. last sort of couple of decades so yeah so for arrow to pick up something like this and stick it on a blu-ray and it's not i don't think it's uh remastered or anything like that it's just cleaned up a bit yeah yeah i don't think so either they do have a great interview with the director too did you get a chance to look at that i did yeah, yeah the disc comes with uh some interviews with the writers and directors and uh some of the art art directors but yeah the director christopher's well i forgot his name sorry christopher spieth yeah he talks about it very enthusiastically he does he really does it's the only film he ever made the only feature film he ever made. And he comes across at the end where he sort of says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of it, but I don't think it's the best thing I've ever done. Right, right. But when he's talking about it, he, I don't know, he, he talks with a with an enthusiasm and an, and an energy. He does. He really does. And he recalls people's names just like that and what they were doing at a certain time in the shoot and this, that and the other. And it's all, yeah, it's quite, quite a really good interview, actually. Yep. It's really, again, Arrow, I think, did a fantastic job with this release. It's a movie you should see. Don't go in with any preconceived notions. But Arrow's um, tweaking on the movie itself and then the specials that the, the extras they put in were just uh, top flight. It really add a lot of perspective to the movie. Yeah. I think it's a film you should see if you've got an interest in in 70s uh, cinema. And I think if you've got an interest in general sort of, I don't want to say weirdness, but... Um, weirdness is okay. Weirdness is okay. Good weirdness. Good weirdness. Things that are slightly off kilter. It's not not your run of the mill. I mean, this could very easily have turned into a very run of the mill slasher film. Yes. Couldn't it, really? Yes. Um, but it doesn't. It's very disjointed. If you're not used to that, if you're only sort of exposure to horror films as, you know, going to the cinema once a year to watch Paranormal Activity, you're not going to get this at all. Right, right. It will just be something obscure from another decade, you know. I mean, I looked at the trailer for this first. And then I watched the interview with the director before I watched the actual film um, and the clips they were showing me and the way they were talking about the film. I was like, wow, this is a film. This is made for me. This film This ticks all my boxes. I think the end result, whilst I enjoyed it and it is a disjointed film, I don't know if it's one I'm going to watch very regularly. To be honest, I may not rewatch it ever again, but I'm glad I saw it. Yeah. If I was in the mood for some sort of 70s carnival weirdness i'd probably stick on blood sucking freaks i think you could trace a line from this through to something like house of a thousand corpses oh absolutely i think rob zombie must have seen this a couple of dozen times in his life yeah you you most assuredly can i mean you can see this potential influence on a lot of different movies like that but yeah that's a absolutely top flight example yeah it's that very off kilter vibe you know things aren't right from the start there is some blood in it. There's some gore in it. It's not overdone. When it is on the screen, it looks cheap. It's that old hammer style, bright red. Crayola stuff. Crayola stuff, you know, yep. but it doesn't matter because it's, you know, that's part of the vibe of the film. Yeah. Are we going to rate it? Um, yeah, let's rate it. Okay. I gave it three ducking stools out of five. That's what I rated it as too. Excellent. We're on board there. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's again, don't go into this with, you know, linear plot expectations because believe me that the, the Tia TCM two plot looks a whole lot more linear than this thing ever was, but it's, <laughs> it's just that great seventies psychedelic vibe. Yes. It, that's it. So it's just, it's tapping into that whole era. Um, it's not easily definable, but it's just, it's got that, that psychedelic trippiness to it. And most assuredly, who is it? James Van Bieber. He must have watched this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he must have when he did the Manson family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like I said, there's a lot of, I mean, you say Rob Zombie, Jim Van Beber, even someone like Rodriguez, I could see getting something out of this. Not one I'll probably return to in a hurry. I'm glad I've got it that I can watch it if I want to. And I'm glad I've seen it. Exactly. Give it a whirl, especially if you're a real, real horror uh, aficionado. You should really try and seek it out and see it. It's a great piece of history, great piece of uh, great, interesting piece of filmmaking. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, then. That's that done. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Right, then. So show number 10, which will be coming in the very near future. Yes, it will. We're going to return to the backwoods of Texas. Yes cover the next three films and we're probably going to look at the other films in this american horror project box set we're going to go all two at once or are we going to do uh i think we'll do two at once because i've got something in mind for the following show perfect so i think that's what we'll do so yeah so there'll be five uh five film reviews that makes it next time so that's a nice even number well it's an odd number but it's an even in the fact oh shut up chris you're fucking <laughs> <hustling. laughs> on that note maybe we should say goodbye <laughs> I think we should. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go and collapse in the corner now. Bye, all. Bye. Nothing. He's just a cook. Shut up, you bitch hog. Leatherface <laughs> do all the work. He don't like it. Ain't that right? You're just a cook. Shut your mouth. <laughs> you don't understand nothing. I understand you ain't nothing. Me and him do all the work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. <laughs> just some things you gotta do. Don't mean you have to like it.